Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast, where we share practical therapy tips and ideas for busy speech-language pathologists. Grab your favorite beverage and sit back as we dive into this week's episode. Welcome to the SLP Now podcast. We are continuing the conversation on language assessment with Callie Knight. And this week, we're diving into the best part of the series, in my opinion, and talking about informal assessment. Callie was on the podcast previously, and she did a really epic series of posts on evaluations for culturally and linguistically diverse students. So she kicked off on episode 114, and then she talked about how to use language samples in 115, non-word repetitions in episode 116, and in episode 117, she talked about dynamic assessment. So we already have a lot of great content talking about considerations for culturally and linguistically diverse students, or consider for them in terms of informal assessment. But today I wanted to back up and do a recap of all of the different options that we have for informal assessment when it comes to a language referral and kind of navigating that process. And then just some strategies in terms of building out that comprehensive eval and what that would look like. So Callie, can we start off? Like I just listed a bunch of the episodes that we did. So Some options that we've already talked about for informal assessment include language samples and non-word repetition. And we also did... Dynamic assessment. Yes, yes, yes. The most important and exciting one. My favorite. (laughs) (laughs) So definitely check out episodes 114 to 117 if you're wondering more about that. But... Is there anything that you would add to the list in terms of things to consider for informal assessment when it comes to a language? I'm like trying to visualize my checklist, which to be honest, sometimes I don't get to do every single thing and that's reality. And so if that's you too, that's okay. We just got to do the best with the time we're allotted. But like a case history or a parent information form, whatever your school happens to call that, a teacher information form or teacher input, a classroom observation, language sample, like you said, and then usually dynamic assessment in some way, shape, or form. That's generally what my informal battery looks like. Do you use anything else in your informal battery? That's a lot, actually, but... (laughs) That is a lot. So some things that I've used in the past, and you mentioned this in the first episode in the series about like looking at work samples, but I think that can be really valuable, especially older students. So I sometimes like doing like curriculum-based assessments, kind of like looking at the grade level standards. If I don't have like a good representation from the work samples, that might be helpful information. And yeah, I think you covered everything else. Good. I love those too as well, because I guess we all kind of do that. Or not we all, but that is something that I integrate. Or I'm always curious to know what different people's like parent and teacher input forms look like because I know sometimes I tweak mine to include specific either questions or concerns kind of like you said about different standards or at least standards that if a student was really significantly struggling in that standard that it would come down to me probably to evaluate to see if 
speech language was affecting that. But I don't know if everyone has that in their input forms, but I would recommend it. Because I think especially being a school-based SLP, where your primary responsibility is to help students meet standards or really access the curriculum, that can be really helpful information to get from the teacher. But that also might require you to get a little bit more familiar with the standards. And there's a lot of them. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Like if you're looking for some form options, our paperwork binder does have some. So if you go to slpnow.com slash 136, like you can refer to that. If you're just looking for a quick resource to grab and go, there's tons of options out there. And I don't think there's a perfect form, but we do our best, right? And I just feel like everyone's school or everyone's location is so different. So even if you start with, say, your form, which I think is amazing, even if you realize, oh, this is mostly helpful, but my district functions a little differently, so I'm going to tweak this form to help me, like, I think that's totally cool. In fact, I think everyone should do that. So don't feel bad for changing someone else's hard work. Just make it work for you. Yeah, I love that. I feel like there's so many things, like as we're having this conversation, I'm like remembering all the little things that I used to do. Do you send home like hard copy forms or do you ever collect things digitally? Depends. I'm kind of like a hard copy gal. And so I'll often send something home, but it really depends on the parents. And I feel like you kind of get to know parents the longer you work in a place. So if I know that there's a parent that digital, like if I send it via email and it's fillable and they can send it back, I know I'm going to get it better that way. I'm going to send that to the parent that way. If I'm pretty sure that I've sent it mostly, you know, digital three times or I've done it in the past and they haven't returned it, but I stick a hard copy in their backpack and it comes back the next day. I have a whole list of things where I have notes on the kids and their parents and preferences and communication preferences. And that's one of them whether they prefer digital or paper. So that's kind of how I determine it. It's not like one size fits all. Yeah, it's what's best for the family. Which is what's going to end up being best for you because if you only choose digital and they never see it, you're going to rip your hair out. Or if you only choose paper, but their preference is digital, you're never going to get your information. So if you choose what's right or helpful for the parent, it's going to be more helpful to you. Yep, I love it. Good stuff. Okay, so we talked about kind of like the intake piece of things. And then I think the work samples are easy to just grab from the teacher whenever. And we talked about the classroom observation and the paperwork binder also has a little bit of a template. So just in the interest of time, I think we can jump towards the other side of things. So do you find yourself doing like a standards-based assessment for a lot of your kiddos? Or is that something you occasionally use or not really? Kind of, but I feel like I don't more informally. It's not a tool that I have that like really lays out the standards and then I'm giving them like tasks that align with that standard. Although I can't even think of what it's called. They do have one that we used in my district. I'll have to go back and look at it. I really didn't like it because even though it was supposed to be like standards-based or criterion referenced, I didn't actually feel like the tool itself was giving me what I needed or was helpful. So the one that I was given access to, I didn't use. But that doesn't mean that the informal tools I use are what I think about. So for example, language samples. I know that in a lot of different 
grades. They're looking at different syntactical structures or being able to use because to explain or give evidence. So if I know that they're not doing that, and I can see that in a work sample and talking to the teacher and doing a language sampler and conversing with the kid, then I know that syntactic structure is missing and it's likely functionally impacting the kid because they can't meet that standard because they can't explain why or given evidence for something. So I feel like I cater or the things I look at in my language sample, because you look could look at a million things, is largely aligned with standards, but it's not like a tool, if that makes sense, that you just grab off the shelf and do. Did you have one that you kind of like was more standards based that you could grab off like the shelf and do with the kid? So again, Monica Lind also helped us make some assessments that are loosely standards-based. And so those are nice, like comprehensive things to give. Like I like to give them when I'm doing an eval or when I'm doing like an IEP renewal, updating the student's IEP, because it gives me some helpful information in terms of like, it helps me like back up because I get so in the weeds with the goals. It just like helps me get bigger picture again. It's like, how are they doing with grade level standards? So I really like doing that. That's how I like to start off a lot of my avows because I feel, like I said, I feel like it helps me frame things again. And then I fill in the pieces from there. Like, oh, I would like a formal assessment to look into that more and all that. So yeah, that plus the language sample are kind of my major go-tos. And then I kind of plan from there. I feel like I need to reiterate what you just said. And it's going to sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but I think what you said is so important or I'm going to kind of like take out the theme of what you just said. The purpose of informal assessment, I mean, yes, you can use it to help determine disability, but like usually that standardized form or the formal test is like the black and white, like is there a disability present or not? But it's like that doesn't help you with providing intervention or doing goals. When you're doing informal, it's like what is the functional impact? What is actually making it so that they can't access their curriculum. It's everything you just said. So functional impact, that's what you're doing with informal. And I think sometimes we're just like, I just think I'm supposed to do a language sample. And I remember there's the, like, some people are like, oh, I could just calculate MLU. I remember I can grab these other things from a language sample. And then you just have all this information and it's like, okay, now I got to figure out what to do with it. Whereas kind of like you said, if you can back up And remember, I'm looking for functional impact. You find the functional impact, then you know exactly what you're looking for. And you're not just getting a lot of random values and then trying to make something of it. That's another time-saving thing. And that also comes, I think, with experience. That's not something that I'm like, you're going to listen to this podcast and be like, tomorrow I'm going to save so much time and be so much more efficient. It takes practice, but I think the intentionality behind it is really helpful. Yeah. And we maybe should have talked about this in the formal assessment episode. Actually, we'll talk about it next week when we're talking about making recommendations and pulling all of the results together. Making recommendations and just a teaser, not writing goals based off of a formal assessment, like a subtest <laughs> of a formal assessment. They're a piece of information, but we will not write a goal to the test. I mean, if your ultimate goal was for them to just magically do better on the self every time, then by all means, write that goal. But I think at the end of the day, when we, again, zoom out, that's not our goal. And especially as I'm sure there's people who are not school-based SLPs listening to this. So, I mean, in general, whatever your end goal is. But as school-based SLPs, the end goal being accessing the curriculum, writing a goal based on a subtest isn't going to get you there. Yeah. 
So on that note, I think we can wrap up our discussion on informal assessment. Or is there anything else you wanted to add? No, I think anything that I would say is going to end up bleeding into making recommendations anyway. So we'll just, anything that we've forgotten will come out in the last episode. (laughs) Yeah, so we'll tie it all together. And I think we've just gotten a good overview. I'll do a quick recap of the options or like some tools that we might use in informal assessment. So case history, parent input, teacher input, work samples, present levels assessments, standards-based assessments, like kind of looking at what's expected in the curriculum and seeing how the students do there, language samples, classroom observations, and dynamic assessment. We didn't chat a lot about dynamic assessment, but Callie did an epic episode, 117. So go check that out for like the most beautiful overview of all things dynamic assessment in less than 15 minutes. I think we framed that episode in the context of like culturally and linguistically diverse students, but that information is applicable to all students. Just in case someone's thinking, but you said that was a series on culturally and linguistically diverse students. That episode applies to everyone. We just talked about it in the context of a certain population. Yeah, but the principles still apply beautifully. They do. Okay, so that's a wrap on this episode and we'll see you next week to wrap it all up. Thanks for listening to the SLP Now podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your SLP friends and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get the latest episodes sent directly to you. See you next time.